Wonderful. So good. That's very kind of you. Yeah, you may be seated and um, yeah, have to meet this guy sometime. That'd be nice. Find out who he is. So that's great, Gary. I appreciate that. And uh, as per usual, uh, it's uh, honour your Well, what have I done? Have I ruined Christmas? No. Um, just want to honour your pastors, Pastor Gary and Jane, and uh, just the, the incredible people that they are, and uh, they're generous people, they're loving. It sounds like this is a bit of a, they've encouraged me, I'll encourage them back, but um, you know, this is one thing I've learned, it's so important uh, that, we, that we build one another up in love, and, uh, and I know what it is, the journey to pastor, and, uh, and I wouldn't do anything else with my life, but I know the journey sometimes of pastoring, and I just want us to honour and appreciate your pastors this morning. Can we do that? Awesome. So good. Well, it's always a privilege to be able to, uh, you know, share the word anywhere. And um, for me, there's nothing more than I love to do, to be really honest. I actually caught up with Richard the other day, and uh, Richard and Sonia and their kids are vitally uh, involved in the life of Hope Church. And I was thinking about it this morning. Um, you know, we've been together in our church for a, a number of years, since about 2010, but uh, we actually, I would have grown up being a youth pastor in the church that, uh, that Richard and his family would have been in back then. And so back since the 90s, Richard, uh, we've known the Hosking family and they are just beautiful people, very involved in the life of our church across many areas. And right now, Richard and I are, are working on and talking through, you know, short courses and how we equip and empower our church better. Uh, so we're having an exciting conversation around that. And there's many other areas of involvement. And Richard's uh, wife, Sonia, is uh, very involved with our kids' ministry uh, alongside our kids' pastor. And their, kid, uh, their daughter, Maddie, is interning with us this year, um, which is fantastic, interning through the kids' ministry. And their son, Noah, is involved in our creative team. So they're a very involved family. So uh, we really appreciate them. And so Sharon couldn't be here today. We've, uh, we've just got a few people around and about and out and on holiday. So uh, Sharon needed to stay uh, down the hill today. So I asked Richard to come instead. And uh, he's not as attractive as Sharon, but he is good company. <laughs> He is good company, though. So, uh, I... <laughs> so it's great that he could be here. And um, but I was saying to him the other day, you know, travelling and and preaching in other pulpits uh, in terms of you know being a preacher that goes around isn't the way God's wired me. I love being at home. God's created me that way. Um, my homebody. I just love being in, in church, but I love being in our church and, and building what God's called us to build and hopefully along the way, uh, equip and empower. And, you know, that really is a key thing for us. Ephesians 4 talks about that the role of ministers and pastors is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not to equip themselves to do all the ministry. Amen? And, uh, and that really does probably typify the way I think and who I am, that my job is not to do everything in our church, but it is my job to equip and empower along with a whole lot of other people, ministers, people like you, people like you, ministers, and uh, to to actually do what God's called to do. And and it's interesting that term ministry, isn't it? I've been thinking about that a little bit lately, uh, to minister or ministry. And probably for so many years, for me growing up in an environment, ministry looked like Sundays and it looked like someone standing here. I thought that was what ministry was. And I think maybe for a lot of Christians, we, if we don't give it some thought, we can also box ministry into what happens at church, but you need to understand we are all ministers. 
Scripture says that, we're, we're, that God has created us and called us to be what? Ministers of reconciliation. So how do, how do you help people reconcile? You, by ministering to them, by pouring out your life to them, by pouring out who God is in you to others. And so we are all ministers because no matter where your workplace is, no matter whether you're at school, whether you're in a season of retirement and uh, you're involved in social clubs, sport clubs, wherever you find yourself... I believe God has us where he wants us, and that is our ministry place. Ministry is where you are right now. Ministry is not the four walls of the church. God, I'm grateful for the church. It's incredible. And I'm going to share some things about it today. But ministry is something that we're all involved with where we're at. And the Hope Church exists to be a church that stimulates that uh, in people to go, wherever you're at, God wants to raise you up to make a difference. Isn't that good? And so I pray today that you're stirred, as I share a bit more practically and a bit more vision-related, that you're stirred that a vision for a church is not a vision for a pastor. A vision for a church is a vision for God's people. And the last time I checked, we're all God's people. Amen? So uh, I'm going to kick into it today, or else I could waffle. So we're not going to do that. But uh, why don't we kick into it today? Uh, let's go to Matthew. Matthew, set up a few thoughts here. Matthew 16. You know, when, uh, when Sharon and I set out on a journey uh, in 2007-8, there, there was a scripture, there were many scriptures, but this passage here in Matthew 16 really helped me. And it really helped Sharon, and it's still helping us to this day. And it's this passage of scripture you may be very familiar with. Uh, Peter's declared that Jesus is the Messiah, so he's like, you are the Son of God, you're, you're the Messiah. And, and then there's a discourse that goes on there. And then we see that Jesus utters these words and he says to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter. I love that he calls him by name. Yeah. It's personal. Maybe you could put your name in there today. You see, God is a personal God. And when he spoke to him, he articulated his name. He says, you are Peter. Now, Peter already knew that he was Peter. Peter didn't need to be reminded, but God, or sorry, Jesus is saying to him, you're Peter. He's, he's establishing identity. He's establishing who he is. He says, you're Peter, you're mine. And he goes on to say, and on this rock, I will, everyone say, build my church. Right. Say that with me, build my church. Build my church. Who's going to build the church? Jesus. Peter or Jesus? Jesus? All right, we're going to do a vote. Who votes for who votes that it's Peter's job to build the church? Who thinks it's Jesus' job to build the church? Fantastic. It says there that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. In other words, there is nothing in this world that can stand against me building my church. Yeah, things will stir up. Yeah, there'll be opposition. Yeah, there'll be mountains. Yeah, there'll be valleys. Yeah, there'll be experiences. But when all is said and done, there is nothing that can stop the building of my church. And he goes on there, and I think this is really, really important because you go, well, if God's doing it all, why do, why do we have to do anything? If Jesus says, I'll build my church, then am I off the hook? I just turn up at church, clock in, clock out. Good try. Jesus is building his church, but he needed Peter and he needs you and I because it says here in verse 19, and I will give you the keys. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. And we heard that prayed this morning, a great prayer. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, that is the equation of God's church being built. Who here this morning wants to see God's church built? Who here this morning wants to see God's church expanded, growing, effective, reaching communities, changing people's lives? Is that our passion this morning? Awesome. I'm in the right room. Well, right here in a couple of verses, we see everything we need in broad stroke. I know not detail, but in broad stroke, we get everything we need. And it's this understanding that God works through his people and he identifies you and I. As I said, put your name in there. And so on this rock, you are Josh, and on this rock, I will build my church. You are Richard, and on this rock, you are Gary, you are Jane. You know what I'm saying? And I will build my church, and I will build my church. But I will build my church, but what I'm going to do in order to build my church is I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you the people, I'm going to give you the church, the people, I'm going to give you the keys to unlock it. I'm going to give you the keys to unlock it. And I really believe that is the most uh, beautiful picture of the church that we can have is that here we are, a body of believers, diverse and different, praise God. Imagine if we were all the same. That would be very boring. But so diverse and different, yet we can come together And we can do something of eternal significance in seeing lives transformed. Not just people saved, but freed and transformed, living the sort of God life they're called to live. And literally, it's a partnership between heaven and us. And that we just need to remember our place. And there are many times where Sharon and I just need to stop. And we need to remind ourselves of our place. Because you know what? Sometimes we get to a point and you go, well, who's building this? Are we building it or is God building it? Because sometimes we can get so passionate to see something happen that we can run ahead of God or we can can do things outside of our grace zone. We get outside of our lane and it's a great reminder, this passage is a great reminder to Sharon and I continually that, you know what, ultimately God builds his church. The job of, of us as believers is to continually be seeking his face for the keys. Okay, God, what is the key for breakthrough? What is the key here? And, and we're talking about that right now, even in our church. You know, we want to see some atmospheres shift. And, and so you start to seek God. Okay, God, what is the key to shift some atmospheres in what you want to do? And so God builds his church, but we get the keys to unlock. Isn't that awesome? So we have a role to play. And so I believe that's a great picture of the church, and I'm praying and believing that in this next season, there are going to be keys that are going to be released into your own life. God is going to give you keys that are going to allow you to build. There are going to be keys that are going to allow you to play your part in what God wants to build, and I I really believe that in Jesus' name. You know, this morning, I I want to really talk about the church, and uh, I want to talk about Hope Church, but I really want to talk about God's church and what I believe God's plan is for his church. So uh, I hope today you can just go with me for a bit as I just share a little bit of the heartbeat uh, and a little bit of the practicals around why we exist as the church. A great place to start when I think about Hope Church is a couple of scriptures, Romans 15 and verse 13. And it says there that may the God of hope, the God of hope, you know, I, I think that we're very blessed 
to have the name Hope Church. I didn't name it Hope Church. I took over that name Hope Church. Uh, our church partnered uh, back in 2010 with a church. We were called Emerge Church, and we partnered with a church called Hope Church, uh, Pastor Nick Resky and Meredith Resky, and, and they were called Hope, and we were called Emerge. And I just am so grateful for the name Hope because that, that, that is may the God of hope. It doesn't say may the God of emerge. <laughs> it says may the God of hope <laughs> fill you with all joy. I love the name. With all joy and peace. Listen, as you trust him. So that you may overflow what? With hope. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that then you and I may overflow with hope by what? By our own good works. No, 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 no. I haven't given the scripture, so I know you can't all see them, but it actually says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so may the God of hope fill each one of us with joy. May there be something that overflows in every single one of us, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. It, it, it reminds me of the Great Commission. It reminds me of, you know... It, it, Sorry, it reminds me of Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and it says that, you know, the, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says, what, you'll be my what? Witnesses, right? The Holy Spirit will come, and the Holy Spirit will empower you and I, what, to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Yeah. See, that's what it reminds me of there, is that you and I, filled with this hope, that it may overflow, and then empowered by the Holy Spirit, we take that hope to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Isn't that beautiful? And so these are some of the, some of the key scriptures, I guess, for us around why we believe uh, in hope. We believe that our communities need hope. We believe whether you serve Jesus Christ or not, whether you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, whether you go to church or not, it doesn't matter who I speak to, whether they're saved or not saved. Every person I speak to desires hope in their life. They're, they're hoping for something better. They're hoping for something greater. Everybody lives with this sense of hope or desiring hope. And I believe that God has called his church to be dispensers of that hope. But not in our own strength, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to shift atmospheres over our churches. That's why we need to see atmospheres shift over our lives because it is not through our good works, good programs, and uh, being a program-driven church. Programs are important, but it must start by being empowered by the Holy Spirit because it's as the Holy Spirit empowers us and drives us that the overflow of what God has done can be shared to other people. I love Psalm 10, verse 17. In the New Living, it says, Lord... You know the hopes of the helpless. So these are scriptures that really speak to who we are as a church and, and why we're Hope Church. Because you know the hopes of the helpless. I love the next word. It says surely. It's, it's like, of course, like surely. It's almost like, duh, like it's a no-brainer that you will hear their cries and you will comfort them. It's beautiful. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. And surely, so it's like, God, there's no way that you're not going to move. There's no way that you're not going to step in. You're going to do something. You're going to hear the cries of the people and you're going to comfort them. And so, you know, when we think about biblical hope, right, really when you look at it biblically, it's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. That's what it means. And so something good or something God in the future. Amen? So when we have hope biblically, what we're saying is we have a confident expectation 
not in and of ourselves, hopefully I've set a platform already, empowered by the Holy Spirit, because God has already filled us with this hope, we know that it's, it's found in God, right? So our confident expectation is not in our own doing, it's not in our own experiences, it's not in our own achievements in life. Our confident expectation is our faith in God. whose promises are what? Yes and amen. And so we have that confident expectation in God and we have that desire that, you know what? Something's going to shift. Circumstances may look one way now, but I'm confident in God that they're going to shift. That's what it is to have hope. That right now, and I'm speaking this tonight at our uh, 5 p.m. service down the hill, I'm speaking about when the odds are stacked against you. What do you do when the odds are stacked against you? Well, really, I can preach it to you now. Have a confident expectation that God will shift, God can shift and make things new. Amen? And so having hope... This sort of biblical hope is, is obviously it starts with a hope in God, but then that hope transfers, as Romans 15 talks about, and overflows into our life, into our marriage, into our parenting, into families, into careers, finances and health, that, that there may be a hope that overflows into all those areas of who God's called us to be. And so I've already said it, but I want to say it again. If you wanted one word, one sentence to try and understand, Josh, what's hope all about, Hope Church? The vision of hope is to be, to be dispensers of this hope that I've just talked about. Our role is simply to be a conduit for God's hope in people's lives. A hope in God, a confident expectation and desire for good things, for God things in our future. Uh, as I said, a hope that overflows not just into what we do on Sundays, it's great what happens when the church gathers and the family. I love that. I'm, I'm a pastor. It's like my favorite day of the week. You need to know Sundays. I live for Sundays, but I realize there's six other days in the week, and uh, not just Sunday, and there's so many other things that we navigate Monday through to Saturday. You know what? God wants to overflow hope into those areas. Joshua 1.3 says, I love this in the ESV, You'll notice that I love most scriptures. <laughs> Hopefully you do too, but I just, they blow me away. I've just, been to, uh, I've just been to the Holy Land, actually, to Israel, and maybe that's why all of a sudden I'm reading the Bible just a little bit differently now. We are talking about it on the way up, and things just seem a bit different at the moment. But anyway, Joshua 1.3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you just as I promised. And so I believe that every area of my life that my foot treads, God wants his hope to overflow in that. He wants hope to overflow everywhere that I go. So if I'm prepared to spiritually step into some areas that are dry, I believe God wants to overflow hope. So if I've got relationships that are tense at the moment, I believe that as I step into what God wants there, I can see hope overflow and I can see those relationships shift. I believe that. And so God has given hope a vision, no doubt, but you know, ultimately our vision as a church is God's vision for his people. Uh, you know, uh, I've been through the eras of, you know, all sorts of um, vision statements, mission statements, slogans, the tens this and the four that is, like all the different things you can have that look great on a wall. When people walk in, they go, oh, wow, that's incredible. What a vision. But um, sometimes what's written on the wall and what actually is taking place, there's a little bit of a gap. And so God's wired me a bit differently that you that I don't have the 10 things and the four and the, and the mill. I just like, okay, God, what is your vision for the church? And we want to be that. Yeah. 
And so I want to share with you today very quickly God's vision for his church from Scripture that we've adopted as a church and that we're trying to outwork in the way that God's wired us. And then at the end, I just want to talk very briefly about where I feel that we're at right now and what God wants to do. Sound good? So throughout Scripture, we get a picture of God's plan and promise for his church. And his vision for his church and his people is, is really these things, four things, is that lost people are saved, saved people are finding freedom, freed people are restored, and restored people are fulfilled to God's original intent for their life. Exodus 6 and verse 6 and 7 and talks about there that, therefore, say to the Israelites, and these are known as the four I will promises of God. You've probably heard them. Uh, it's nothing new under the sun. And you'll find many churches uh, with these same values in their church. Why? Because it's biblical, it's scriptural, it's the way God established it in the Old Testament and the New. This is God's plan and God's purpose for his people. So it makes a very great vision for a church. And his four I will promises are found in here. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you. So we've got I will bring you out. Then we've got I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you, the third I will, with an outstretched harm and mighty acts of judgment. And then lastly, the fourth I will, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So here we have what are known as, and in Jewish history and Jewish tradition, as the four I will promises of God. I'll bring you out, speaks to us about salvation. I'll free you, speaks to us of freedom. I'll redeem you, is all about being restored to purpose. I'll take you as my own, is all about fulfillment. And the great thing is, is that this vision that God had for his church and for his people has not changed over time. You go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and, and things have not shifted. The same vision exists. If we go to Colossians, Paul and the early church were devoted to, the, to these four things. Let's read in Colossians 1, 28 to 29. It says here that he, God, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. So here you have the writer here saying, you know what, I, with everything that, was, that is within me, I strenuously push towards these things. God's plan for his people, God's plan for salvation. But it just doesn't end at salvation. We see here that he talks about he is the one we proclaim. And so again... What is it to proclaim Christ? That is to preach the gospel and see people saved. And so what they're saying is seeing people saved is the first part of God's plan for humanity. We know that. That's a no-brainer. I don't need to preach that to you today. But God's number one plan for humanity is to see them saved from their lifestyle of sin and separation from God and restored into thriving, personal, uh, powerful, intimate relationship with the Father. What a great promise. But sometimes we stop there. <laughs> sometimes as churches we stop there because we get excited about seeing people saved, don't we? But you know what? There are four promises God made to his people. And the second one, right? The second I will promise is that I will free you. It talks about freedom. And we see here in Colossians it talks about admonishing and teaching. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're actually teaching how to live the Christian life. They're actually teaching people and being passionate about 
how you can help someone not just say yes to Jesus, but now I want to teach you how to live free of your past and committed to helping you live in your future. See, it's the whole area of freedom. It says in Hosea 4 and verse 6 that my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So it's really important as churches that a part of our vision isn't just to see people saved, but we've got to be committed to helping people live fully free, right? For a lack of knowledge. We've got to teach people what it is to be free in Jesus' name. Galatians 5.1, I love this passage too. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that he set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what is that saying? Christ came for your freedom. Yes, he came to set you free. He came for your salvation, but he actually came for your freedom. And what the writer is saying here in Galatians is, do not, whatever you do, do not get that burden back on you and go back, go back to that place of bondage and slavery. So what we're seeing here in Scripture is we're seeing this whole freedom piece where we, we come to the knowledge of Christ, but who knows the day that you came to the knowledge of Christ, not everything in your life was worked out. Anyone? I'm going to stand before you today and go, you know what? I've known Jesus Christ a number of years and still not everything has worked out in my life. Why? Because we all... We're sinners. We're all saved by what? Grace. Not by all the good things we've done. If it, were, if it was based on what we've done, not many of us would be in this room this morning. But we're in this room because of the incredible grace of the Almighty One. The grace of God. But who knows that it's one thing to say yes to Jesus, but it's another thing to break free of your past, to break free of old mindsets, to break free of some of the things that have happened in you and happened to you. But you know what? God's church exists to be a place where people, yes, they can find Jesus Christ and they can find that hope, but also that they can be set free. He who is set free is what? I'll I'll try it again. He whom the Son sets free is? Free indeed. Freedom. Freedom. I'll be honest with you, I just want to preach freedom to you today. I am so on this topic at the moment because I am convinced it is the big atmosphere shifter in our churches when people start getting truly free. But I'm not going to be able to do that today. We'll do it another day. (laughs) But I really believe it. And we believe it as a church. And so it's a lens in which we look look through. The second, sorry, the third thing there is it talks about Present everyone fully mature. And so that's the whole area of seeing people restored and fulfilled. That we don't leave people as infants. That we don't leave them as babes in Christ. But we see people discipled and restored. What does that mean? Restored means to be put back together. When you restore something, you put it back together. But what do you put it back together? Someone who's a, a proper restorer of things, right, does not right, restore to some new design that they have. True restoration is to put that thing back to its original condition. Amen? And that's God's plan. There is an original condition for every... God created us pure, righteous, holy in his sight. Sin entered the world. God had a plan and a purpose for us, and he wants to see his people restored back to original condition, 
free of sin, free of the grime, free of the, the, the things that the world throws at. Just totally original, not just a little bit restored. Oh, well, I gave it my best shot and the bumpers look good, <laughs> you know. And I've shined up the tyres, you know, so you think about a car and, you know, you, you can do a half job of restoring, but who knows that when you see one of those old cars fully restored, isn't it beautiful? I, I believe that's how Jesus is seeing you and I today. He doesn't just see you with a little, you know, little weekend makeover. Oh, well, I'll fix up the bumpers and the tyres and we'll, 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 we'll give the seats or what. No, when he looks at you and I, I believe he looks at you and I fully restored. Fully restored. And so we have a part to play as the church to help people realise and recognise what it is to be fully restored, to present ourselves fully mature, not as babes. And so it's the whole... P- thing of being restored and then fulfilled. What does that speak to us of? Fulfilled is God has a purpose for us, for every single one of us. God is not an accidental God. He's not an accidental God. He is intentional in every way. He is intentional that you're here this morning. Some of you came here dragging your feet this morning. You want to stay in bed because it was cold. You know why you're here? Because pastors like me, every morning on a Sunday, I get up early on Sundays and I jump in the car and I go for a drive. You know what my first prayer is? I pray over our people that God will wake them up. (laughs) I do. I do. I say, God, this morning, would you wake people from their slumber and give them a desire to be in your house? I don't pray that they need to come and hear what I've... I'm just Josh, but I pray, God, would you... I just know that when we get in the house of God, these things can happen. These things can happen. And, and so you're here today and you're going, oh, so it's people like you that I should blame. Because I didn't want to come this morning, but somehow I'm here. Uh, we prayed you into the house this morning. Amen. <laughs> we prayed you into the house. But God does have a design for every single one of us. It may look different. Said that earlier. Our purpose in God is wide and varied, just as spiritual gifts are wide and varied, just as... Um, behaviors are varied, uh, mindset. We're different people, right? God has wired us differently, and that's the beautiful thing about it. And so the challenge of the church is to go, well, not just to see people saved, but we want to see them free. We want them to then be restored to who God says they are. But you know what? That's not the end of the story either. There's this thing called fulfillment. Step four, where... And this is where Ephesians 4 comes in. The equipping of the saints for ministry. It's not the job of the pastors to do all the ministry. I've covered that. But the whole thing of fulfillment is that every single person in here, whether you're sitting on the front row or the back, doesn't matter what section, whether you're in the sound booth, everyone who's in this room this morning and those that aren't here, that are normally here, God has a distinctive plan, purpose, job, call it what you want, but God has something for every single one of us. And so the, 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 the completion of God's picture for his people is saved, restored. Sorry, saved, freed, restored, and fulfilled. Yeah. Now, I'm going to be really honest. It's one of the harder parts of church life is facilitating that. But you know what? As a church, we've decided that that's who we want to be. That's the way God's wired me. And I'm not going to say it's easy, but there's a lot of things in life that aren't easy. But you know what? I, I believe that the church can be its most impacting, powerful, life-giving 
when the people, the church, step into fulfillment. And that's our prayer for you. That's our prayer for you. Amen? You might not be there yet, but it's our prayer for you, and we're going to keep praying that through. You know, when it comes to our church, practically, you go, well, Josh, that sounds great. What a great fit. But how does that look on the ground? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. And I'm not going to give you too much today, um, mindful of the time I've got. But I can very quickly just give you a very basic overview. We'll get to more of this in another day. But if we go through those four things, saved, freed, restored, and fulfilled, you know, that first part is really about knowing God. So being saved is, is to know God. And so... The way that we do this at Hope Church is through our weekend services. It's through gatherings like this. It's when the youth gather. It's when the kids' ministry get together. It's when we do um, gatherings where the, where the Word of God is preached and there's an opportunity for people to respond and say yes to Jesus. So that's one way. So that's the church at large. Now, I understand that, that that's not the only way that people come to faith. People will come to faith during the week in a small group. You know, lately we're seeing, we've had about two or three people in recent months not get saved in the service but get saved afterwards in the cafe having a conversation with someone. Isn't that awesome? And so we recognise that people coming to know God is not just going to happen on a Sunday service, but I'm talking about the vision of a church at a larger level. So what do we as the church have at our disposal? We have Sunday services that we can design to be so life-giving that when people come to them who don't know Christ, something is going to come alive on the inside of them and we can help lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our passion. And so how do we know God? We do this through weekend services. People can hear the gospel and they can say yes to Jesus. When it comes to finding freedom, we do that through the context of small groups. You know, I've shared some of these thoughts. The reality is, the reality is that, you know, when we come together like this on a Sunday, there's only so much depth that can be built. You know, we come in, hey, how are you going? How was your week? We've got so much to talk about, but so little time. Amen. But when you get yourself in a small group, when people begin to gather in smaller groups of people, it's a great opportunity for us to actually build relationship, to be in an environment that is safe, uh, an environment of, uh, that protects, an environment that cares. And we believe that it's in those environments that the mask can come off and we can actually be free to be ourselves. And so it's in that context that we believe that you find freedom because I don't know about you, right? Sunday service is not the time for the mask to come off. I'm not sure, unless any of you are willing now to come and, and drop the mask and just tell everyone what's going on. So none of us want to do that, right? So small groups are a great place for people to find those relationships, build with trust, find a community that can walk out your journey of faith and come to a place of freedom. And so our mechanism, or how does Hope Church help people find freedom? Through small groups, but small groups in the life of our church are not limited to a Bible study group. Small groups are any environment, we call them free market. Anywhere where people gather, we've got six basketball teams and those basketball teams have one person on every team who is responsible to care for the basketball players on that team. So what that means is, hey, how are you going? Is there anything going on in your life I can pray for? They're not just there to play basketball, but they're there to care and connect with these people. I think over 50% right now, people... Do you want me to swap out? Do you want me to swap? Is it annoying? Yep, okay. Honestly...
Okay, there it is. <laughs> Almost there. But um, I think over half of the people that right now that are in our basketball teams are unchurched. Isn't that awesome? And so our small groups do exist of Bible studies, but they exist of mums groups. They exist of so many contexts of people coming together. And the key is connection, relationship. Yeah, is there a hunger for God in them? Absolutely. Do we, do we have studies and, and those sorts of materials that are encouraged? Absolutely, we do. But you know what? It, it all starts. If we're going to help people find freedom, it all starts with a relationship. It all starts with connection. It all starts with getting to know each other. And so we believe that one of the mechanisms that we can help people step into freedom is that they become known and they also know. Know and known. Know and known. We also look at how we can help people get free through courses. And so right now we have an incredible course that we're run, running called Freedom. And we've got about 12 or 13 people meeting each week um, at the church, but it's in, we would class it as a small group, coming together with a specific focus on finding freedom. And so when it comes to short courses and those sorts of things in our church, we're always looking for what will feed into God's four promises for his people. Will this help people find freedom? Will this help people be restored? And that's always the lens in which we're looking through. When it comes to being restored or discovering purpose, we do this through something called the journey. And, and it's a very simple and a practical tool that we le- use in the life of our church over four steps that really helps people to understand the vision and mission of the church, but then it also helps people to discover how God has wired them. So we help people find out their spiritual gifts. And by doing that, it allows us to be a church that is gifts-based, not need-based. Right? So we're, we're empowering people to minister in the life of the church, not just because that's where the gap is. Now, there are times when we need to fill that gap, but we're doing it because we want to see people released into the way that God has wired them, so spiritual gifts. It helps people then to develop those gifts and use those gifts in their own world, in leadership, at work, in all spheres of their life, because this is not just about the four walls of the church. God has called us not to just make a difference in the church, but he's called us to make a difference in the world. Amen? And so hopefully what we're doing is we're building Christians and empowering people to not just to uh, outlive this in the life of a church, but to outwork it in their workplace, to live it in their community, to live it in their family, and they make a difference wherever they walk. And the last part about being fulfilled on a practical level is really where we make a difference. It's where we have the understanding of our unique purpose, that we're all a part of God's plan to touch the world, and that this is where we create those opportunities and find those opportunities for people to actually serve, to actually put some action right, to all that they've discovered because it's pointless to discover who God says you are. And stay with me on this. It is pointless to go through a process of freedom, to be restored, to then not do something with it. Can you imagine that car guy restoring that car to its beauty, but he never takes it out of the garage. What? Wouldn't that be crazy? No, no. He, he, he wants to go and use that. He wants, to, he wants to show others. He wants others to be like, oh, wow. He wants other people to be drawn into to his car. Isn't that the same with us? Isn't that God's plan for his church and his people? That we're saved, awesome I'm going to heaven, my eternity. 
But you know what? Yeah, eternity is something that we're all going to be a part of. But we've got this life right now where we have an opportunity to do something that changes communities, transforms lives, helps people find the hope that we profess. And so I push through my freedom and I allow God to restore me and I go on the journey and I get a part of a small group and and I walk the journey with other Christians and I get to a point in my life where I go, maybe the team could join me. I get to a point in my life where I go, you know what? I'm starting to feel like everything's coming back together again. All those gaps, all those holes that I've had in my heart, in my life, I just feel like I'm, I'm starting to be put back together. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. <laughs> all the pieces just coming back together again. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of God's plan and purpose. It's great for us on a personal level. But church, there's more. There's more. And God's fifth, sorry, fourth, I will promise is he says, hey, now that you've discovered, now that you've had everything put back together, would you just go and show off your shiny new car and make a difference in the life of someone else? Just one person. Some of you might be sitting here hearing this today. You go, Josh, sounds great. I love it, but it's not my personal. Just one. Just making the, a, a difference in one person. Making the difference in one environment. Just, just one. Can you have faith to believe that God could use you? That he could restore you and fulfill you in a way that you could make a difference in someone's world? Do you believe that this morning? I do. And that simply is God's picture, his plan, his blueprint for the church. And yes, we can come up with great slogans and, and we can have mission statements and we can have all that and we, we have things that we're about. But ultimately, if you strip it all back, if we strip it all back, God's heartbeat for our communities, God's heartbeat for your family, God's heartbeat for the people you work with, God's heartbeat for humanity is to see them saved and to know him. Is to see them free of the shackles and the bondages and the lies of the enemy. To see people put back together again. Have you noticed, not just outside of the church, but have you noticed even in the church how many broken people there are? And we can either just pray nice prayers of, oh, I'm praying for your brother, God bless you, hey, God's on the throne. And we may mean every word of that, but I believe that the church has a mandate. And when I say the church, not me, because the church is the people. The church is the people. We, the church, we, the people, have a mandate and a responsibility to take it a step further and get involved in messy situations. And be a part of putting broken things back together again. Amen? And if that's all you hear from me today, if everything else I said is just practical, but that you catch the heartbeat of this last couple of minutes, catch that. So, Josh, how do we do that? I've got no idea. 
but God will build his church and he will give us the keys. So what's our job? Our job as God's people is to come together to seek him for the keys. Amen? And we're going to do that right now. I've got so much more I wanted to share with you. It doesn't matter. We've got time. We'll do it another day. I reckon that's a good place to stop. What do you reckon? Why don't you stand with me this morning? We're just going to go in and we're going to, we're going to sing that song. <laughs> oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Is that, that's, can I ask you to do this? Can I just ask you to close your eyes? To sing these words. I would say that most people in this room don't need the screen for these words. But can you just seek God right now? Right where you're at? Can we just have a few moments? And we've got a few moments. Can we just have a few moments? And can as a church together, and can we do this in unity? So what I mean is uh, be mindful of those around you. And in unity right now, can we just seek his face? And I believe that as we're singing this song, we're saying, God... We want to play our part in your plan for humanity. We want to play our part in what you want to do right here in the hills. We want to play our part of seeing your four I will promises come to pass in Jesus' name. Can you do that with us? Can we do that together? Come on. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Let's seek his face this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Oh.